The first reading may be found on page 1196 in the Church Bible and on the screens. It's 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 32. This can be found on page 1061 and on the screens in front of you. That's Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. 
but they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask again that you would send the Spirit of Jesus to be amongst us, to be within us, empowering those who have read your word and I who speak your word, that you would speak your word through us, through the Spirit's power. And Lord, open our ears that we might hear your word and open our hearts that we might respond to you. Amen. Amen. I have a picture which I treasure. This is it. It's the picture of my grandfather. Oh, here he is. Isn't he a handsome chap? Runs in the family. My grandfather died long, long before I was born. So I don't know very much about him, but I know what he looks like. And this is his wife, my grandmother. They married in 1934, no, 1933, sorry. And uh, she died a year later, just having given birth to my father. So I honor her for the sacrifice she made for my father and, of course, that made my life possible. At New Year was my mother and my father's 80th birthdays, both of them, and so we had a big family party to celebrate. And I was given the job of putting together a PowerPoint um, of, to, to, to show through the story of their life and their family. So I took this picture out of the frame to scan it to put it onto the PowerPoint. It's got uh, one of these clever... Uh, 1930s uh, um, clips at the back that allows you to take the uh, wooden board off and take the picture out. And as I took the picture out to put it on the scanner, I was astonished to find that there was a poem written on the back. You can see that it's uh, from Ian, my grandfather, to Kitten, my grandmother. And it's dated October the 13th, 1932. They were married in February, February the 25th, 1933. So this is about four months beforehand. So presumably they're engaged. Um, the poem talks about their being separated. So presumably uh, they weren't together for a section of their engagement. And so my grandfather sent this picture to my grandmother during their engagement to keep her company. About a year and a half after that, my father was born and she died. 
Here's the poem that my grandfather wrote to my grandmother. Life without thee, dear heart, is just endurance, a groping through the darkness to the light. With thee of perfect love I have assurance, in thee I find the source of all delight. Still from our love's desire we are prevented, and for the time must yet live far apart. So for the present must thou be contented with only this picture, with only this dear heart. Well, you can imagine what it meant to my father to uh, read these words for the first time in January this year. Because although we'd had the picture all that time, nobody had ever taken it out of the frame and seen the, the, the words on the back. And you can imagine how much it must have meant to my grandmother to receive the picture of her fiancé from whom she was separated and these words of love on the back. How often she must have looked at the picture and how often read this love poem. Why do we read letters and cards and emails? We read them for information and to learn more about the person sending them, to receive instructions and to gain feedback and hopefully affirmation. For any of these reasons, we might go back to the original words and double-check them and read them again. But anyone who's received a love letter knows that the words that most draw us back to themselves, to read and reread and read again, are the words of someone who loves us and whom we too love. If you've been following our Back to Basics course these last few weeks, you'll remember we've learned about what Jesus did for us on the cross, how he died for us, the sacrifice he made. We've learned about the new birth and the new life that he offers to us. And we've learned about the assurance that we have as God's children that we are loved and forgiven and invited into eternal intimacy and joy. And how do we know all this? We know it because of the words that are written in this book. This is God's love letter to us, describing to us his heart, his purposes, his plans for us. So you can understand why we who have so much gratitude and so much love um, ignited in our hearts for the Lord Jesus, for our Heavenly Father, go back to these words again and again for a clearer picture of God, for instructions for living, for honest accountability and feedback, and for warm affirmation. But above all, for words of enduring and sacrificing love. As the disciples said at Emmaus, which we had read from, these, from this Bible earlier, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? 
did not our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Well, some may criticize a church like St. Jude's for our huge emphasis on the Bible. At their harshest, they use words like fixation, obsession, Bible worship even. I've heard those words used. Such accusations are misplaced for us because we've always been clear that it's not the Bible we worship, but the Lord Jesus whom we, found, whom we find in its pages, who is re- revealed to us in the Bible. But at another level, we have to put up our hands and say, you're right, we do. We love the Bible. Because it is our access into the presence of God. Because it paints a picture of the one who is the face of the Almighty clothed in human form who reveals the Almighty to us and draws us into his presence. The Bible is the portrait of Jesus. The Gospels are his face. The Epistles are his clothing. And the Old Testament, his context, the backdrop against which he stands. So yes, we love it and we revere it because In it, we see Jesus. So, ten quick reasons why we should have, uh, ten quick reasons why we love the Bible, why we read it. Firstly, because it reveals God. Without it, we would have no clear understanding of the nature and the purpose of God, of who He is and how much He loves us. Secondly, because it gives birth to life, to faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Thirdly, because it takes us back to the source. Without it, we would be dependent on 2,000 years of Chinese whispers of tradition, one person handing on the news to the next. The Bible takes us right back to the beginning. Fourthly, because it's active. Because it is powerful in our lives for change sharper than any two-edged sword. Fifthly, because it sustains us. As the psalmist said, it's like the finest wheat to eat. It's like bread. It's like honey on our lips. As Peter and Paul said, it's like suckling milk and adults' meat and two veg. Sixthly, because it forms us for holiness. It's like a mirror in which we see ourselves as we actually are. It challenges our focus and our desires. It gives us a picture of who God calls us to be and shows us how to get there. Seventhly, it offers us guidance. It's like a map for us to see the way and like a lamp or a torch so that we can choose where to place our feet. Eighthly, it helps us against temptation pointing out snares and giving us courage to resist. Ninthly, it's good news, the gospel of peace for us to share with all those we know. And tenthly, because it kindles hope. 
however long and arduous the way, it convinces us that the end of the journey is worthwhile, is worth the struggle of the journey. All the way through the Bible, from beginning to end, we discover that God is a God who speaks. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God speaks and the world changes. God speaks to us and our lives change. God speaks his word and as we respond to it, we are transformed. But we can only be changed as we respond and we can only respond when God first speaks. God's word is primarily spoken through the Lord Jesus Christ, his living, incarnate, eternal word. But Christ is brought to us through the pages of the Bible, the written word. Which is why we make such a big thing about studying the Bible. It's why we always have scripture in every service. It's why we always have a sermon, a, a, a verbal presentation of the word of God. It's why we form Bible studies together to study God's word together in groups. And why above all, we read the Bible on our own and struggle to understand what Jesus is saying to us personally through it. For us, reading the Bible isn't just studying some historical text. It's not even about engaging with the foundation documents of our faith. No, it is a divine encounter between God and mankind, between God and us. It's a chance for God to speak to us and for us to respond to him. As we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit is at work inside us, affirming to us that this is God's very word, enabling our dull and twisted minds to see clearly, to understand, applying God's word to our life situation and empowering us to respond and to be changed by it. This is the Holy Spirit at work through imperfect words written by imperfect pe people, read by imperfect people. But through that process, God's Spirit is at work, making it powerful and active to change our lives, to bring us closer to him. So reading the Bible is a divine encounter where God is revealed in Christ and we are drawn into his presence as we are transformed. It's life-changing which is why we're so insistent on the incredible privilege and the huge responsibility of getting to grips with it, of studying the Bible ourselves every day. Listen, if we had the opportunity to meet the Queen, wouldn't we take it up? If we had the chance to get to know somebody who had rescued us, who had saved our life, wouldn't we do that? If we were invited on a date by someone that we adore and who adores us, wouldn't we move heaven and earth to make that possible? Well, let me tell you. The God of gods and king of kings, savior of our souls, 
who loves us to the uttermost and who has ignited love in our hearts invites us to meet with him in his word every day. Would we not move heaven and earth more to the point our diaries so that we could make that possible? Well, a daily, a daily quiet time reading God's word is our privilege and our strength. Reading the Bible first enables us to respond to God and gives us material about which to pray. So how should we go about doing that, reading God's word? There are literally hundreds of books about this. So important is it to us. And if you like to learn through reading books, then get one of these and remind yourselves of the best ways of getting to grips with God's word. But here are a few pointers uh, gathered from those. Firstly, pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes so that you can see in God's word what he has for you at that moment. Ask the Spirit to explain what the passage is all about, as we did before I began to speak. Secondly, choose a small section. It is important to read through the whole of the Bible because the Bible is the context of each passage and only as we know the whole of the Bible can we properly understand the context of the individual passage and therefore understand it better. But when we're reading daily to nourish our souls, we need something small enough that we can get our teeth into it. And another point I'm just putting in here, 2A, so keep it on that, is that it's really important to read the Bible not just on our own, but also with others. So being here in church and listening to somebody else's reflection on the Bible is really important. But so too is reading it with other people in groups, hearing their perspective, because that enriches ours. And if you're on your own, you could read some notes of some other Bible reader who has, who has got some thoughts to share with you. And that's why very often people, when they're reading the Bible, read a passage for the day and read Bible notes with that. And if you want some Bible notes, then uh, come and see uh, David and Zina afterwards um, and they'll be delighted to put you on the list uh, and you can get some Bible notes through the church. Thirdly, focus on Christ. Not on what is either of passing interest or, or, or kind of the bee in your bonnet, but on the things that are of eternal moment, central importance. As um, Paul said to Timothy, that which is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. If you think that's a bit of an overstatement, then just remember that the greatest Bible study of all time offered by the Lord Jesus to his, two of his struggling disciples after his death and resurrection, in that, as we heard earlier today, Jesus began with Moses and all the prophets and explained to his grieving disciples what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So focus on Christ and, of what is, and on what is of central importance. Fourthly, read to be changed. 
not just to know. That's why I've been changing the way I preach over these last few years, away from just more head knowledge for you, which is interesting and fun, but doesn't actually make any difference, to preaching for change, that you and I together, as we engage with God's word, can be transformed by it. We can have some practical application and steps for what we need to do next. Read to be changed. It is very easy, isn't it, when you read the Bible, to see so clearly how somebody else ought to change in response to what you're reading. If only they would read what you're reading with your eyes of insight. People on the other side of the world, your children, your parents. If only they would read this, they could be so different. But that is not our calling when we read Scripture. It is to read and reflect and pray until we have heard how God wants us to change. As we heard from St. Paul, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's tempting for me as a preacher to read that as all scripture is useful for me to be able to exhort and rebuke and encourage you guys. But that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying all scripture is useful for all of us so that we may all be changed and thoroughly equipped for all the good works that God is calling us to. Fifthly, write it down. It is amazing how easy it is to forget something that you'd really rather not remember. Write it down and pray it into your heart. And then sixthly, memorize. Choose the most significant verse or phrase in the passage and learn it. Then the Holy Spirit will have more material in your mind and in your heart to work with. You'll remember that Jesus said to his disciples just in the Last Supper, just before he died, he said, the Spirit will bring back to your memory, to your remembrance, all these words of mine. Well, it will help the Holy Spirit hugely if we've got those words in our mind, in our remembrance to begin with. So learn Scripture and get it into your head so that the Spirit can bring it back when we need it. Well, I read you my grandfather's love poem to my grandmother. In fact, the whole love song could be taken as a profound comment on the place of the Bible for us. Let me read it in that light. Just imagine the first verse is the Lord Jesus speaking to his disciple. Life without thee... No, sorry, the other way around. Beg your pardon. So the first verse is a Christian speaking to the Lord. Life without thee, dear heart, is just endurance, a groping through the darkness to the light. With thee, of perfect love, I have assurance. We heard about that last week. In thee, I find the source of all delight. And now Christ speaks to his servants, his friends, his beloved. Still, from our love's desire, we are prevented, and for the time, 
must yet live far apart. So for the present must thou be contented with only this, dear heart. None of this is to say that it's easy to read the Bible. A lot of the Bible is very challenging. Some of it is difficult because it's asking us to do things we just don't want to do. It's hard in that sense. Other parts of the Bible are very hard because we don't quite understand them. We feel as if something has been left out, as if something is missing. Maybe the context or maybe some part of the sentence, the words to us. Tragically, the last line of the last verse of this love poem has been cut off in order that this, um, uh, this board can fit into the new frame into which it was put. Tragically. I'll read you the last verse as we have it. An end will come to all our hopes and dreaming. Our ship of love be wafted to the shore. And in my eyes thou'lt see the love light gleaming. And... How does it end? If it had come to my grandmother like that, I imagine she would have spent hours reading through those words again and again, learning the cadence of it, learning the tone and the texture of the words used, using everything that she knew intuitively and that she had heard from her fiancé, from Ian. And then I have no doubt would have tried to form that last sentence, that last phrase, to the best of her ability. She couldn't have helped it. I can't help myself. You can't help yourselves. She might not have get it, got exactly the right words. She might not have found the words that Ian had originally penned. But she would have created something that was the best that her understanding and her heart of love could make. Something that fitted with all the rest of what she read. And that is how we read the Bible. There are gaps in it. There are things that we don't understand. But as we read through it, as we learn all that we can of the character of the one who wrote those words to us, we fill out the gaps to the best of our ability, of our understanding, and of our love. Humbly conscious that though they may not be the right words, they're only the best that we can do. When I gave you 10 good reasons to read about the Bible, much of the reason, most of the reasons I gave you were about our struggle now in this life. But the last reason I gave you was the hope 
that the Bible gives us for the future. That one day we will meet him face to face. Now we know in part, but then we will know even as we are known. As Christ says in Scripture, this is eternal life. To know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So let me, in my words, complete the final line of the poem, as Christ might say it to you. You'll find the actual words that he uses through the Bible. An end will come to all our hopes and dreamings, our ship of love be wafted to the shore, and in my eyes thou'lt see the love light gleaming, and thou wilt hear my words of love for you forevermore. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent your word living and incarnate into this world. That we could see and hear and understand who you are and how far your love takes you as you love us to the very end. How we thank you too for the love poem, the words of love that you have sent to us in the Bible. Words with which we struggle, words which fill us with hope and delight. Knowing that in them now we catch a, a glimpse of your face, which one day you will reveal to us as clearly as we see our own now. Then we will know you even as we are known. And then we will know that of the three great qualities that you share with us now, love and hope and faith, when at last we are in your presence and you are revealed to us, love is all that we shall see and know. in the face of your Son, our Saviour Jesus. Amen.